1: Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Coming at you on a Friday. Uh, We have completed just about a week of uh, Summer League basketball. It's been a pretty fun week. We'll we'll get to that in a second. Um, We uh, have a pretty special guest this morning. Uh for you or today, I guess, or this weekend, i don't know whenever you're listening to this, Mike Vorkanoff of the athletic so uh let me just take a minute to to talk about Mike so Mike has been the beat reporter for uh the covering the Knicks for the athletic um man i think since i've been since i've been doing knicks film school uh it it feels like he's been here for for three seasons um and you know, Knicks fans, I think, have a somewhat checkered relationship with the some of the writers who cover this team or have covered this team in the past. Um Mike Vorganoff is just awesome. And <laughs> he's he's first class all the way. And his stuff is top notch. And um, you know, I just as someone who Uh, faces the challenge of creating uh content about this team on a on a regular basis that is you know if you're a newsletter subscriber content that's readable if you're obviously listening to this podcast content that is um you know worthy of your your time and attention and um yeah it's hard to do that (laughs) and it's hard to do that and to make it good and uh mike vorkanoff in all the time that he's been covering uh, the Knicks for The Athletic, has done it just as well as you could do it. Um, he really is someone that uh, I have looked up to and will continue to look up to um, just in terms of his analysis, his his journalism, the stories that he comes up with, the approaches he takes to things that I think most people wouldn't take um, or, or may not think to take. Uh, and he's just been top notch, and his uh, his time on the Knicks beat is coming to an end. So obviously, we wanted to get him in here uh, for that for that reason, and, and just to talk generally. And we had a great conversation, as we always do, about the Knicks, about the NBA, about you know some other things. Um, he's going to continue writing as as he'll talk about uh, on the podcast, so I won't spoil it about the NBA, uh, more the business side of the NBA. But I just felt it was appropriate to start off the episode with a little. Um, you know, a little tribute to Vork because he's been he's been awesome. And uh, you know, I think I don't know who the Athletic is going to get to to fill his shoes, but they are they are large shoes to fill. Um so, you know, um kudos to Vork. Uh before we get to the conversation and and I should say Vork um recorded from from Las Vegas where Summer League is obviously going on. You know, it, I feel like we do this every year, right? It's, it's not just me. It, it can't just be me that we do this every year where regardless of what is going on in summer league, you know, two, we didn't have summer league last year, two years ago, RJ Barrett came out and, uh, Kind of that stunk up to join over the first two games, but you know didn't didn't look like you would want a guy who was just picked third overall in the draft to look. Um, and then it was kind of exacerbated by the fact that Iggy Brozdakis, who was taken, I don't know, was he taken forty seventh, forty something? Um, you know, looked uh, looked more like the guy who was picked third, and everybody was losing their shit. You know, and uh, a year before that, we had uh, Kevin Knox. Come out and be like, "Hey, all those all those draft people who originally had him in the teens and were trepidatious about the Knicks taking him in the top ten, well, boy, don't they look silly now? Ha ha ha! Uh, yeah, not, not not so much. So you know, even you know earlier this week, Emmanuel quickly came out and had a rough game one, and there were people who were losing their shit. It's like." Every year we do this where we're like, we we have to remind ourselves it's Summer League. It's Summer League, it's Summer League, it's Summer League. You know, I joked a couple nights ago, first rule of Summer League, you don't worry about Summer League. Second rule of Summer League, you do not worry about Summer League. Um, So it is with caution or maybe cautious optimism. Let's say that. Let's say cautious optimism. That I find the entire fan base, and I am, of course, including myself in that group, getting, you know, pretty in a lather over this Deuce McBride kid. Um, If I stretch the Summer League overreaction, not overreaction, appropriate reaction, whatever, to a couple seasons before Knox... When a kid who we don't talk about him anymore here, uh, because he plays in Dallas now and he's their problem. But, you know, once upon a time, Christoph Sporzingus was kind of a big deal. Um, and he came into summer league, and within those first couple of games in Summer League, you're like, Oh, this 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 kid could play. Um, and it was obvious then, and it became just as obvious when the season started. So like as much as everything I just said is true, and you have to take everything that you see with with several shakers of salt and the whole thing, like there are also times when you watch a player and he just, you know, he just kind of has it, you know, whatever it is. Um, now this is where I'll I'll, I'll probably pour a little bit of cold water, I think what we've seen from Deuce McBride through three games, and it, it, it really has been all three games, not just this last game when he hit a bunch of threes and his, his box score numbers looked a little better, but he's, he's been doing the things that he's been doing the whole time. The things that he's doing, like, you know, I, people in the super chat after his game against the Lakers the other night that, you know, I, we, 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 I won't name any names. We had some comps thrown around for Mr. McBride where it was like, oh boy. Um, pr- pretty lofty comparisons. I don't think what we're seeing means that he is some kind of a, you know, he's the future starting point guard of the Knicks. He's, uh, you know, he has a, the upside of like this player who's been in all-star conversations or that player who's like considered one of the best young players. Like, no. I think what we've seen shows that Deuce McBride is an NBA player. He's an NBA rotation player. And he's someone that is probably going to be able to help the Knicks win basketball games this season. And and that may seem like cold water um, that I'm throwing on the kid and his performance. But you just you got to remind yourself that like once you get past the lottery, maybe if you want to extend it through like even the teens In the draft, once you get past that point, like, if you get yourself a rotation player, you've done really well. And I think, you know, look no further than a guy like Quentin Grimes, who, again, it's only summer league. Don't overreact. But, like, here's a guy who's come in and he, like, looks like he's, you know, he's struggling a little bit. Like, if Quentin Grimes went on to do not much with the Knicks, and again, I'm not saying that that's going to happen. The kid could still, you know, be awesome. Like, no one would be like, oh, the Knicks failed. They blew this draft because they didn't hit on the 25th pick. Like, that's not how this goes. You, If you don't hit on, you know, the Knox was picked in the top 10. Obi was picked in the top 10. Frank was picked in the top 10. RJ was picked third overall. If you miss on those picks, especially like a top five pick, it can really set your organization back. And you really, you kind of have to hit on those picks. Once you get past like definitely the top 10, but really once you get past the teens and, and certainly the lottery, like it's, you know, you win some, you lose some. Um I think what we're seeing from Deuce McBride is that they won, they won one. And, and I, but I just want to be very careful with like winning at this spot, at that spot, which was again, the 36th pick, thirty sixth pick, like, Go go back and like yes, you could find some picks in the like a pick here or a pick there in the in the thirties or the forties that like that person became an NBA player and a productive one at that and maybe a few a few that have become really like something, like, you know, your Chris Middletons and your Nikola Jokic's and the you know, your Spencer Dinwiddie's of the world. But like those are really, really the exceptions. I think Deuce McBride has shown us he's gonna be a guy who's gonna help the Knicks win games, um for as long as he's here. And that's all you could ask for. Um, So I'm really super excited. I want to see the kid um, do even more. I can't wait to see him play uh, tonight and tomorrow. Um, I hope the Knicks make it to, like, whatever the summer league playoffs are and that they go far and they keep playing basketball games because, like, to be honest with you, I'm not not really ready for the offseason to start in earnest. Like, it's been cool the last few months. We've had the draft to dig our teeth into and free agency and... This that and the other thing, and now we have summer league. And then after summer league ends, it's like okay, we got nothing for, you know, basically a month, month and a half, like five weeks. Um, I'm not ready yet. I want I'm, I'm I'm enjoying the basketball, so let's keep it going. Let's keep uh, keep the quick deuce, quick deuce train moving. Love that nickname, quick deuce.
0: Whoever came up with that, gold star for you. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed.
1: Joining me now, not for the last time. I don't care what he writes about. Um, I'm going to drag his ass back here periodically. (laughs) Um, He is uh, for another, I don't know, I'm going to ask him about it, several days at least, a uh, beat writer for the New York Knicks, uh, writes for The Athletic. He is going to continue writing for The Athletic in a different capacity, which we're going to get into in a second. Um, His, uh, I don't know how many times he's been on this podcast, but regular guest, Mike Vorkanoff. Hello, sir.
2: How are you? How's it going? It's going good. (laughs) You left me as a sacrificial lamb to go to summer league while uh team Nick's film school canceled, probably making the right decision, to be honest. Um, you but.
1: know, I, so it, look, well we could just peel back the curtain. It's fine. So this was originally I was like, I went to my wife and I was like, let's make this a family trip and let's all go together. I have an uncle that lives about a half an hour north of the strip. So I was like, you and the kids could hang out poolside during the day on the days, you know, when I'm like covering the team, it's going to be like every other day. And then our plan was to to rent a car and drive to LA and spend a few days in LA and then fly back home. Ooh. This was the whole plan. And then the anxiety started to set in on her part. And she's like, I'm the kids are, I, I'm going to murder my children. They're going <laughs> to catch this disease or a new disease that we don't know about yet. And so then it went from, her canceling to, you know, we, we had several conversations and it was like, you know, here we are.
2: I mean, I listen, I, this is my first trip uh, in, since March, 2020. Okay, um, And uh, I will freely say, uh, I don't, I still don't know if I made the right decision to come. Everyone seems super comfortable here. I may be a little more cautious about all these things. Um and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting trip. I'll, I'll say that much.
1: <laughs> I mean, it seems like, I, I, well, let me ask you, is, is everybody, all of the usual suspects are there?
2: Uh, yeah, it seems, I mean, listen, I think the NBA has turned out pretty much in full force, okay. um, in terms of Knicks media, pretty much everyone's here. Um, so yeah, it seems like, uh, I'm, I'm maybe I'm the only one who has these apprehensions
1: or maybe you're the only one man enough to admit it. <laughs> Maybe more
2: like it. I mean, um, like you, I have small children, so, you know, I'm trying yeah. to be super careful here. I'm not trying to bring anything back.
1: No, for sure. Um, and I, I get it. And there's I'm not going to lie. There's definitely a part of me that wishes I was there, but such is life. Um, we, we're going to get to the Knicks in a second. I want to usually I save the self-promotion stuff for the end, but we're going to start with it right now because you've earned that and so much more. Um, you are shifting your role at the athletic, and um I just want to pick your brain about it for a minute because it's super interesting to me first and foremost um all I know is what you tweeted out, which is that you're going to be writing about the business of the NBA. is that did I get that right?
2: yeah, I think that's kind of a a nebulous uh, um definition, and I'm really not even sure what the job is going to be yet, but the way i'm kind of you know the way I'm thinking of it is basically um the I don't know what my official title is, but it's basically like the intersection of money and basketball. Okay. Um, and, uh, at all levels. So, you know, from AAU on up to the NBA. So it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty wide scope. Um, but it's, I think it's going to be fun. I, I don't, I don't really know what I'm going to do yet. Uh, <laughs> I, we don't have, you know, we don't have this position in house. So I'm starting it from scratch. So it'll be fun building it out um, just from the ground up and trying to figure out what, what the hell my job is.
1: Well, you took away my next question, which was going to be like, how clear of an idea do you have of what this is going to be? But I guess that answers that like just knowing you, knowing your pers- getting to know you over the last few years, it, this feels like something that's going to be really in your wheelhouse. Are you, are you just excited to like, you know, take the road and see where it goes?
2: Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. You know, like it's, it's going to be, you know, covering a team is simple in some ways, uh, not that covering the Knicks is easy, but like, you know, you're writing about the Knicks. Um, You know, every day you wake up, you're like, okay, what's the next story I'm going to write? You know, covering it, being a national reporter and and looking at it from a national perspective, is there's so many options, right? There's so many possibilities out there. It's an entire new landscape. It's a bunch of new people you have to get to meet. Uh, So that's going to be, yeah, I mean, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It's, I'm both uh, excited and uh, uh, frightened of messing it up. So we'll see how it goes. Give me a break. I
1: know you mean that, too. That's the funny thing. I know you're genuinely like frightened you're going to screw it up, which is amusing to me, but that's it's fine.
2: We'll see how it goes. Well, maybe in, in two years and back covering the Knicks. You never know.
1: <laughs> Every time I think I'm out, they, they pull me back in. Um, <laughs> yeah. So well, actually, so logistically, uh, when is do you have like a final day? Is it basically this trip and then you're done?
2: Yeah, you know, pretty much I think in a, today's the 11. So, like, about a week from now, okay. uh, I, I'm uh, signing off, and uh, then I, I have to take some parental leave, so I'll be back. And when I'm back in the fall, uh, that's when I get to start in a new job and, um, you know, go from there, basically. It'll be fun. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'll still, I still want to write about the Knicks from time to time. Like, that's a good grounding for me. You know, I know the team, obviously. I know people around the team, so I'm sure maybe I can help contribute in some way um, to whoever takes over on the beat uh, mm. without getting in their way. Um, so hopefully I can still write about the Knicks from time to time, but, uh, especially since, you know, they should be pretty good this upcoming year at the very least. Um, so there should be some stuff that, you know, maybe I can chip in on.
1: Well, that's a good transition. Um, I agree. I think they're going to be pretty good. I, so I want to go back uh, to a conversation we had, this is certainly before Leon Rose took over. Um, we were, we were talking about how the Knicks don't really know what they're doing. This is years ago. And like, you know, Kevin Knox was in the midst of like floundering and like, you know, we didn't know what was is this, are they trying to develop guys? It's like, it's, it's big game hunting and that's it. Um, you've now seen the, obviously you've seen the entire Leon Rose era from up close. Um, sitting here right now, do you, as, as you're about to depart, you know, the beat, how do you think things stand just in comparison to like, you know, I'm not going to ask you to like give them a, an exact ranking, but like, you know, the league, you know, the landscape pretty well. Do you think the Knicks are sitting pretty? Do you think they're like, you know, somewhere in that middle ground? Do you still think they're kind of looking up at more well functioning, well run organizations? Like, how do you, what's your big picture take of where the team's at right now? You
2: know, I think, um, I think they're in a good spot. Look, they're definitely better in a better position than they were when they took over uh, the Leon Rose regime took over in March, 2020. You know, I think they're um, it's,
0: it's,
2: I think they're in a good spot because they have kind of put together what I think will probably be a playoff team next year. Right. And so that would be two straight playoff appearances. Um, I think, you know, the big thing for me coming in to this offseason to see what they do is like, I, I thought that, next year's team was at real risk of some regression, right? You know, there's a lot of, um, career best performances last year. And so, um, you know, you wonder, okay, will Julius Randle be able to replicate what he did? You know, RJ Barrett going to be a 40% shooter again uh, from three. I mean, yeah. um, you know, nerland's Noel and, um, uh, you know, Al Burks played pretty well, like, Oh, you can go through it. Uh, right. And so they seem to have built in a small, you know, kind of a buffer there against if regression does come with Evan Fournier with, uh with Kemba Walker, obviously, right? Yeah. And they added Kem, uh, you know, they added Quentin Grimes and Miles McBride, and like maybe they'll be good, but they're also rookies, so they're probably not yeah. gonna be helpful, right? Like um, uh, especially on the Tom Thibodeau coach team, like I would assume they don't really add much to the next year's team. Um if maybe McBride a
1: ton, something has <laughs> probably
2: gone awry. Right. E- either they've like really hit and like this is just <laughs> yeah. like the steal of the draft type of yeah. situation. Um, or they're in a bad spot. Maybe Grimes gets more minutes than I expect just cause I think they still have some, um, I, I think they need more wing depth. Uh, okay. I think they. I think he's their fourth wing if I remember. Right. Um, well, I guess it so, depends on how you look at quickly, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think of him as a guard, like, you know, he's kind of between the one and the two, Yeah. if you want to look at it that way. But I mean, you're not going to see him playing, you know, with RJ Barrett on the wing, right? He's six, three, he's got a six, eight wingspan, but he's, he's slight, you know, he's. You know, defensively, I don't think he can hang, and I don't think Tom Thibodeau will put him in that position. That's not what he looks for in those spots. Um, I, and so, you know, I think in that way, they're fine. Like, for next year, they probably will be a playoff team. I don't know if they'll avoid the play-in tournament. I think, like, honestly, seeds 5 through 12 yeah. in the East, like, you can just shake them up, and however they end up, I would not be surprised. I'm with you. Um, because I think there's a good amount of, of depth there. Um I think in terms of like the long-term plan, I still think it's TBD, right? You know, they have a bunch of, you know, kind of guys who are leaving their prime or or right in the middle of their prime. And so like long-term, I don't know what's there. Um, I think they're still trying to get that guy that, that like huge star that they're trying to get as their building block, right? Like Julius Randle is good, but he's not going to be the guy who takes you to the Eastern conference finals as like the no. best player on your team. Um, so in that case, it's still TBD. I think, you know, they still are trying to make that next big move to really set them up to be a finals contender. Right. And that's still out there. They still need to make that spot, but I think just the ability and the sustain the ability to have sustained success, I think is big for the Knicks. I think that's a core tenet of trying to make them, um, long-term successful, right? Like I think you only get the star if you can prove, like, all right, we've now gone two, three, four years without being uh, the dysfunctional mess that they were for the twenty uh, for the twenty years before that. Yeah. So, like, that's that's something they need to prove, right? Like, you're not gonna. Uh, get Damian Lillard. You're not going to get a Bradley Beal. You're not going to get, I don't know who the next, you know, guy who's like, I want out whoever uh, w- without like them thinking, okay, this is a place I want to go to. Cause I know they they can win and they can do it reliably. And like, it's not going to blow up in my face. Again, right. Like that's, that's a key tenet of doing all that. And Brooklyn, Brooklyn got to that spot pretty quickly. Um, the yeah. Lakers were able to overcome their own dysfunction very quickly because they had a history of doing it. They had a very recent, history of doing it right like the Lakers it's nice to Lakers. be the Lakers <laughs> you know yeah, they have LA they yeah. have you yeah, know but they also like their last title was what 2010 yeah right the, the Knicks last title was 1973
1: right well yeah no that's way. true that's true right
2: so you know they still had Kobe vibes they're like there was everything in place there to hold them over through the the three or four or five years or whatever it was of like just ugliness like they still had close enough ties to recent success Um, to help them bridge that gap. The Knicks don't have that. So they have to almost build it first uh, to be able to use that as an anchor.
1: Yeah. It's it's interesting because you you would think that like it just merely like, okay, our job is to be competent. Um, That's easy enough. And yet you wrote a lot um, in the weeks approaching free agency about how there was going to be a real challenge here to kind of keep the, keep the powder dry, so to speak while at the same time not taking a step back because, you know, that would be, that would be really bad. And I, you know, I, I've been careful not to try, you know, my, I think my original grade for their off season would have probably been like a C plus B minus. Um, And then after Kemba and, and I think um, after the Julius Randall extension, I would probably up that to like, you know, B plus, maybe being generous, like an A minus. Um, But I think they've kind of threaded the needle Mm -hmm. as well as they, they could have. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, the free agent class this year was like, it wasn't great, right? Like no. who, who are the guys at the top of the market? Lonzo Ball, four for 85, DeMar DeRozan. Um, you know, there's no one that like- Lowry. Really wanted, yeah, Lowry, that's right. And I don't think it seemed like he was never coming to the mix. Um, I don't think there was anyone that you're like, okay, you just got to sell out to get them. And so yeah. the contracts that they have, you know, that now that we know they have team options on the back end uh, for years three, and then I think Evan Fournier year four, Yep. They're not horrible. They're tradable. They have, you know, the one thing is like, so when the Colin Sexton stuff, you know, all the kind of the, the reports about the Knicks interest in them. Would you make it that? by the way? So, sorry to cut you off. Do you buy that as like a real thing? Yeah, I do. But I think it was kind of also you know, some gamesmanship going on. Like okay. I think the Cavs probably want to see what the market was for them. But like, if you looked at it, the Knicks, I never saw as viable contenders to get them because what could they trade? They had no contract. Yeah. They had no players that, you know, like can help a team like Cleveland win now that wants to get better for next yeah. year. They can only trade rookie year deals. And then Julius Randle, who was not on a rookie year deal. Like that's no place to be in. Even if you tried to make like a, an R.J. Uh, uh, Damian Lillard um, trade work this summer, right? Before all these signings, mm-hmm. that, that was going to be complicated. Either they take them into their cap space, which is fine. Um, but like, if you want to make a deal happen and, and still uh, make some other additions like in free agency, you had nothing, right? Like you had nothing to trade. Uh, so now they have the flexibility to be able to trade guys um, next year, next summer, if they need to, because they have all these mid-level contracts They have, you know, Burks and Noel at around $10 million. They have Fournier at around $20 million. Um, Derek Rose is around 15 million, $14 million, right? So they have these contracts that you can kind of bundle together at different price points to make a con- uh, to make a, a bigger trade work out, um, which I think is important, right? You need flexibility of all kinds. And and they have, if they need to, uh, to clear up cap space and, and like get rid of any of those contracts that they signed for whatever reason, they also have the picks, right? That's an yeah. asset of its own. You don't just use those to trade away uh, for a player. You use those to open up cap space if you need it, right? Like we've seen that repeatedly over the last few years. That's what teams do. It's like, need to open up $15 million? Let's attach a first to it. And the Knicks have a number going forward.
1: Yeah, um, they do. And I, I think it's, you know, again, talk about kicking the can down the road, trading the 19th pick out for, for a future first. I know that move got like criticized a little bit. Um, The Kemba thing, you, you broke some news uh, this morning. We're recording this on uh, Wednesday afternoon uh, that it was indeed a two-year deal for $16 million. Um, On one hand, the um, blue and orange colored glasses wearer in me wants to be like, Oh my God, Kemba Walker decided to come here for $8 million a year craziness we're back uh everybody wants to be a nick on the other hand where else was he going to start in the league where you actually kind of really actually want to start and he's still getting paid um i if i so i read something he gave back about 20 million so the knicks aren't quite making him 100 percent whole but they're like more or less making him whole. and I, th- I guess oklahoma city is still paying him north of 50 million dollars not to play basketball for the next two years so like i'm not that's not a bad gig by the way um I'm not, I need to get in that industry. That that is the, the getting paid to to not work industry is a good industry uh, to be in. Um, so I'm not going too crazy about it, but I, I'm curious what you think. Like none of us are, are. Are you? You're not a doctor. I don't. I don't think you're a doctor. Maybe.
2: Um, are you saying it? All no, day? I got. I got my degree, but it was oh, okay. in Russia, so I don't know what it's. That's for. not sure that counts. I've been um, administering Sputnik vaccines all over Vegas. Uh, so, just letting you guys know, I'm doing my part.
1: Thank you for your service. Um, yeah. We're not doctors, so we don't know what what's going on with the knee. I I do think though this has a chance to be really be really good because like I I know you've seen you know the numbers in the tape like he was pretty good last year. I I think mm-hmm. it, you know, and I think in terms of um, what the Knicks need, you you know, you witnessed Alfred Payton run point for this team. Like, I, I think this is going to be a pretty big big upgrade. What do you what are you thinking?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very um, you know, high high reward, low risk low type risk. of contract at the price point that they're at. Look, I you know, I think he was. It seemed like he was kind of getting to some level of his All Star self at the end of the year in Boston last year. The numbers were pretty good. I think he's yeah. like thirty eight percent over the last like fifteen games from three, yeah. something like that, averaging twenty one and uh, whatever. Uh, I don't know about the medical right. Like that's a big thing. I don't know what his knees look like. The, the Celtics weren't playing him on the back end of back to backs. I think he played forty three games last year. I want to yeah. say. Um, you know, between him and Derrick Rose, you've got like what two good knees between them. Um, hey, listen, split the forty-eight minutes between twenty-four and yeah, twenty-four. Yeah. You no, know. yeah. So, I mean, look, I, 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 think it's a good deal for the Knicks for sure for nine million dollars. Like that's that's a risk we're taking, right? As opposed to thirty-six million dollars annually. Um, I, I think maybe the you, have, you know, I think uh, you shouldn't overlook the injury stuff. You know, no. right? Like, it, I think that is very important. You know, I'd heard like, and I think other people's reported that like when the Thunder got Kemba initially, I think their plan was hey, let's rehab them and see if they can get another first round pick out of him. So I don't know what it says that they decided to kind of cup bait there and not try to extract more picks out of them. That's, you know, the Sam Press, the MO is right. Yeah. Every, they got, you know, everyone talks about like the That's- Bucks got four first round, uh, traded four first round picks for Drew Holiday. The Thunder got three firsts for Al Horford, it's uh, right? Unbelievable. <laughs> so think about that. Um, yeah, so we'll see. I don't know. I I see the upside for sure. You know, they get the playmaking. They need a guy who can create for himself and create for others and just take so much of that burden off of Julius Randle. And they got that, you know, Fournier a little bit. Now they have Kemba Walker. They have Derek Rose that quickly can do a little bit. They really helped that part of themselves. I think that was a key part of what they did this offseason. You know, I wrote about it, just getting guys who can create, who can pull up. A score off the dribble, pull-up shooting, all that type of stuff. Um, the injury part is going to be a, a, a big part of it, I think. You know, like, if he's healthy and they get 50 games out of him, I think that's a good contract. You know, if he's not healthy and they get 25 games out of him, right, like, the cost becomes very low because he's making 9 mil annually, but, like, in terms of the actual production, what that they'll miss on can be pretty high. Um,
1: you mentioned Julius Randle obviously re-signed for, uh, I think, what was widely considered a, a pretty fair deal that mm-hmm. to me is is a little bit more of a sign that like okay there's buy-in here at least from the guys in the building which i, I think i said on a podcast a few days ago like you're not going to get buy-in from guys around the league until you get buy-in from the guys that are here um do you how, how big of a deal do you personally make out of him i mean 117 dollars is not nothing it's a lot of money so yeah I, you
2: know, so <laughs> let's not forget he, he is guaranteed 106 million right like he didn't it's he didn't a good, just, um, look, he buys out he buys out the downside risk for himself, right? Like you know, injury, like him not playing as well as he did the past season. You know, if he repeated the year he had in 2020-21, he might have been the top free agent on the market potentially, right? If all the <laughs> other guys opted back in. Um, well, depending on what Levine and yeah and Beal do, sure, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, so there's there's a possibility he was one of the top two or three guys for sure. <laughs> Um, he gets 106 million guaranteed. I think, I forget who reported is, but it seems like the, the fourth year is a team uh, is a player option. This player option. Um, yeah. Um, so, right. So it's the three year contract. So essentially a four years, uh, the Knicks have for sure. Um, and then he can hit the market at a uh, 30 years old again. So like he gets a hundred million guaranteed. It's his first big, big deal. Um, I understand why he did it. I look, I think for the Knicks, it's great. He's going to be as of now, um, I think the 50th highest paid player in 2022. Yeah. Which is oh, kind of wild. Great.
1: Eighth place yeah. MVP. It's. Just, I mean, I know he's not the eighth best player in the league, but you know.
2: Yeah, and I like I, I listen. That's that's a great value for them, and and it's important. I think it was important for the Knicks to kind of reward their own guys, right? Like that's yep. a big part of. Uh, I'm not going to say culture building because I just I hate that phrase. It's a big part <laughs> of like having people buy into what you're selling is rewarding them when they perform well, yep. right? Like that's how you build. Uh, that's how you can create kind of cynicism down the line is if you ask them uh, to do things for you and then you don't reward them down the line, right? I think that's probably maybe contributed to why they brought in their own Noel and Alec Burks back, right? They did the things (laughs) that the Knicks needed and they said, okay, you guys played well, you bought into our thing, into our system um, and here's you getting paid for it, right? Like that's that's what players want to see, right? Ultimately, they like anyone else uh, are looking for money from their employer because they want to be rewarded for their work. I feel like all
1: these things that we're talking about, like, again, you could, is it a a major thing? Is it just like a slight positive? But, you know, you alluded to it before. They're not a punchline anymore, right? Like you used the one time I was in Vegas. It's like it was it was right. um, Oh, my God. It was when the Marcus Morris thing went down where he was supposed to go to the Spurs and then end up coming to the Knicks. And like, it's just, you know, the Knicks are a punchline. And it's been uh, whatever it's been since the last Vegas Summer League. It's like, at the very least, they've graduated from that. And I think now the next step is, is, is there a star that, you know, says, OK, I, I, I want to go there. If you if you had to wager a guess, do you do you think before let's say before this trade deadline they, okay. that some, someone will be like, all right, I want to I want to go there
2: um, before this trade deadline? I think no, but I think next summer, like, listen, Damien, look at the Damon Lord situation, right? He basically what do you make said, of it? Are you talk to people that, in, in Vegas? Yeah, but like he basically said, like, look, I want to see the Blazers get better. I want us to become a contender. Uh, the Blazers have not done that, no. uh, <laughs> right? Like, they have just pretty much brought back, you know, the whole, the same team. Um, yeah, like, I don't see how that's, you know... Damien Lillard put down a marker for the Blazers to reach. And I don't think that they will reach it based on the roster that they have now. So I don't see like right now, it just seems like it's trending next summer to just Dame asking out, right? Like he's said, he said explicitly what he wants. He could say, I tried, I asked the Blazers to get better. I can, you know, like I wanted them to improve the roster this past season and they didn't. And so, you know, they lost in the first round again, if that's how that goes. Right. And I think if, if that happens, like I would not at all be surprised if we see reporting then, that says like Damian Lillard's first choice is New York, or like he wants to go to the Knicks, you know? And this is again, but this is the point that I think is important. It's like, they have to have a good year this this year too, right? Yes. I think that's why it's important to bring, and they did it on kind of good contracts uh, relatively, is like to have another playoff season, to be able to bank that, to be able to say, okay, like, look, this is a competent organization now that makes the playoffs. Uh, regularly, you can come here, And help us go to the next level. I think that's valuable, right? Like everyone talks about the nets and like the big transformation that they had. Um, but they made the playoffs and then KD and Kyrie came, right. It wasn't, they didn't join a 20 win team. They joined a 42 win team that had just gotten to the first round and they could say, okay, we can take that team to another level. So the Knicks need that. They need to be in that place.
1: Um, I want to pick your brain, uh, the, the part of your brain that maybe is, is going to start to think about the the business of the NBA. Um, Cause you just brought up Dame. Dame has uh, four more years left on his contract, but it might as well be three because the last yeah. year is a, um, a player option. I, and I'm obviously not the first person to, to be thinking about this. It's, I feel like it's a conversation point. I'm of the opinion that somebody at some point is going to, whether it's before the qualifying offer comes or like somebody that's like you know, maybe their extension is not is like the first year that their extension is kicked in that we're getting to a place where players, if they're like some player who feels like he's powerful enough, is just going to be like, I don't want to be here anymore. You're going to trade me. Do you do you think that that day is coming? And do you how do you think that situation would turn out either just on like a micro scale? And do you think it would have like ramifications
2: for the league at large? John, I hate to tell you, we've seen it already. Kristaps Porzingis did it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm not even doing
1: He did People do conveniently kind of. That situation was. in the middle
2: of his fourth year before he was about to hit restrictive free agency or sign the qualifying offer. That was a power move. We saw him do it. Well, so said Steve Mills. Uh, no no no. I do believe I mean he wanted out. He like, no, that, he, he definitely wanted there's out. There's a lot of other things there that yeah, um are perhaps yeah, open to interpretation and yes. spin, let's say, but he did. He didn't want to be in New York, right? He did not and want to was, be in New York
1: anymore. That's, he was about that's to hit
2: true. his restricted free agent summer and he said, let me out of here. Like so that was the power move. Um I, I guess you know. let me let me rephrase that.
1: In a situation where an organization is somewhat desperate to keep a player, as opposed right. to perhaps an organization who may have already been gently, you know,
2: I do, I mistakes. do find, I do find the Porzingis thing funny, and I reported at the is like the Knicks had that deal with the Mavs lined up the night before, uh, you know. As listen, I I get the you know the 180 degree turn on on uh, Porzingis. I see it very frequently on Twitter. Yeah, uh, that, I think that gets lost is that they had the Porzingis deal lined up before he asked uh, to leave. Yes. Um, so, but I get it. But um, we digress. Yeah. I I mean, listen, to Every. I I don't know. We. I saw the athletic story on Zion Williamson, uh, right? Uh, he doesn't apparently seem to be all 100% happy in New Orleans. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see it at all. I mean, or someone to sign a five-year max extension in a year and um, to one out. That's what Damien. That's what just happened with Damien Lillard. Essentially, right? Kind of, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's. I think it's really interesting that you know um, the NBA for a certain class of players has gotten to an NFL type situation where contracts don't matter. Um, we right, like contracts were something yeah. that teams could uh, choose to uh, get rid of when they wanted to, and now certain players have decided that they're in the same place, and Adam Silver is allowing that to happen. I mean, there's uh, you is know, it up it, to him? Well, I mean, I don't know, and this is my assumption, but like, I just don't see David Stern uh, letting <laughs> letting all these situations play. No, I'm d- I'm not even kidding. Like, no, no, I, but it's just you, the thought of David right, Stern you find players for public trade requests, yeah. and I know the NBA, like, I think they did that to Cantor, if I remember, but like, I just don't see things happening under like David Stern that they do now with Adam Silver. Like, there's yeah. a different there's a different discussion to have about like is this actually good for the NBA future and engagement and all these like business, whatever, like, and, and in terms of player power and, you know, labor power of whatever. But I'm just saying like, I could see under a different commissioner if they didn't let this happen like that. Yeah. It seems like it's a choice the NBA has, uh, has made to allow players to wield their power this way. Right. Um, I had not that's, thought that's about that. That's just a non-value, that's, that's a non-value judgment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see it. Like Harden demanded out, partied his way out of Houston with two, two years and an option left. Right. Yeah. Like if Damian Lord wants out next summer, that's two years and an option left. Um, why couldn't it happen? If someone signs, uh, you know, if you're, uh, if you're coming off your rookie contract, you find, you sign your, um, you know, your five-year max extension, you have to stay there for a year after you do that. So you stay your fifth year and then you decide, all right, like, this is just not for me. You get your bag, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then you go, like, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I think, I think that's kind of where we're heading, right? Everyone's pushing their limits a little bit. Anthony Davis uh, made his demand with a year and a half left. Right. And then <laughs> we've seen that gradually grow out to two plus an option. What's the next step? It's going to be three years. And after that's going to be four. Like, I, I just think that's where it's going. And it, at some point um, it's going to have to be a team that decides they want to say no and, and ignore it, or if they do it, and then they ignore the player's preference on where do they go. And I think that's that's a like a really interesting thing that the NBA has to decide about. I, I remember talking about this with um, with someone when Andre Iguodala, uh, with an, I was talking about this with the exact when Andre oh, with the had his holdout, yeah, yeah. And I I told them, I was like, you know, I'm generally a pro player, like I think it's important to have strong labor rights, um, but I, I do find it interesting that like. Why haven't the Grizzlies just push back on Andre Godal saying, I'm just not playing for you. What does that uh, look hey, like
1: though? For, so, just, I mean, just, just let's go down this road for a second. So the Grizzlies are like, screw this. Like, what, what
2: do they, they start finding him, I guess. Is that, that's the, that's Yeah, the I mean, I, I think that would be within their rights. Like, I think if someone just doesn't show up to work, right. right like, <laughs> You can really that, pay. Yeah, I mean, like you say, yeah. Look, we're, we're still finding you. I you know, there's probably a grievance process that the league and the PA have. And again, I'm not saying that they should do it. I think these are just kind of like bigger questions. I don't even know what the right answer is. But I, I did. I don't either. It's, it's that's that you know that a team was just like, okay, that's fine. You can sit out. We'll trade you at the deadline to the Heat, and then all the Grizzlies players afterward are like angry at Iguodala, rightfully so, because he decided he was too good to play for. But,
1: but I, I wonder. That, I wonder they're, how they're other, letting this happen. I wonder how players around the league. Like, I guess it would depend on the player to like, I, I, I Iguodala seems like a popular guy. I mean, I don't obviously I don't know, but just like, if no, <laughs> I, it's like, is the NBA just like a big popularity contest? Like if it was the wrong player that a team did that to, or a player that was like really well liked or well respected, like would the team, then I guess the team would risk no other or not a lot of free agents coming and taking their money. But it, I don't know. It's, that's yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah.
2: I, I think it's just like, I, I mean, I don't see how it changes going forward. And, um, it's and I'm not. just saying like, and I don't, I don't have a preference here. I just like, as an observer and as a reporter, I find it really fascinating that the way this is all playing out and where it goes from here.
1: Yeah. I guess just better to have, uh, be an organization where, where players, uh, want to, want to come play. Um, yeah. all right. Uh, I'm, I promised myself I wasn't going to keep you too long. Cause you have actual stuff to do in Vegas. Um, a couple quick hitters before I get you out of here, this is officially your last. I have to get a
2: juice, by the way. That's my ju- thing. I have to a get juice? a juice before I go to the gym. Yeah. I have to get a juice. What kind of juice? I don't know. There's a there's a cold, fresh juice place in the hotel. That's my that's my important thing. I keep seeing Amari Stoudemire outside the Starbucks. That's right across from the juice place. What is he I'm doing? I,
1: is he on a? Oh, he's on the Nets uh, coaching staff. I forgot.
2: I think so. Yeah. yeah, I I think I I try not to eat completely like crap in Vegas. I think it's important to eat real foods at time to
1: time. My the, the state like that for me is Texas. I was. For some reason, when I was in law school, I kept getting sent to trial competitions in Texas, and it's like all you want to do after you get back from Texas is eat like a week's worth of salads. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but Vegas is yeah, Vegas is I guess pretty close. Um, okay, uh, quick hitters. Uh, since this again, your last official um, <laughs> podcast in in a Knicks beat writer capacity. Uh, favorite player that you've uh, covered uh, with the Knicks?
2: Oh, favorite player. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to get to know some of the players. Um, you think? <laughs> <laughs> so like this past season I just like I said I just met meant For the first time Yeah um, You know uh, We didn't the have, Secret like, stuff I love that Yeah That was great um, He says he hasn't seen Space Jam 2 yet uh, Nor have I so, Nor will I uh, Yeah I'm not gonna see it No um, I don't know You know I enjoyed covering um, Douglas Kuzminskis My first year That was fun He's a big Broadway fan I think he saw like Cats a few times <laughs> I saw Cats I hated it So I I guess we didn't have that in common. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, You know, Marcus is a good one. Who? Marcus Morris. Okay, was great to cover. Um, He's always good with the media. Uh, Frank Milikina, I enjoyed covering him. Um, He was always (laughs) he was nice. He's he's very nice, and you know, I thought he was very thoughtful about like his approach, and he was always take time. Like I really enjoyed talking to him and kind of understanding how he saw the game and like kind of explained why, you know, everyone talked about why he was not aggressive enough. He, you know, he kind of explained it, you know, it's like, yeah. it just was not in his nature. Um, and, uh, Luke Cornette was always good to talk uh, to. Yeah. Um, you know, Mitchell Robinson is, uh, you know, he really blossomed, let's say over his time in New York from when he got there. Yeah. Um, luckily the Knicks have not, at least while I was there and have not had, uh, too many players that I, uh, I didn't enjoy covering. There were a few, but, uh, there's the, for the most part, everyone was pretty
1: good. I, for one, just the only complaint I ever had, and this is nothing against him, but I could never hear a Bobby word.
2: Portis. Portis,
1: Bobby was, Portis good. was good. Yeah.
2: But
1: I could I could never hear a word that Julius said in, in less until after I rec- like played back the recording, cause he was kind of a low talker. That's the only, yeah. Thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he's, he's obviously a great guy. Um, okay. Uh, well, well we're a uh, bonus uh, bonus bonus round question. Um, frank Ntilikina, does he have a relevant moment in the NBA before all is said and done?
2: <laughs> what does relevant mean? Use your own definition. Uh, I think he'll be in the NBA somewhere. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna. I don't know what relevant means, so I'm gonna say no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I'm still, you, I still. I still. I think there are Frank Ntilikina believers out there. I'm a believer. Yeah, in the league too, and you know. But I'm just curious because he hasn't
1: been signed yet. I'm a little. I'm honestly, frank, frankly, I'm. I'm a little shocked that no one has signed him. At least to like a one-year deal or something.
2: Yeah, I would think he gets a minimum somewhere, maybe like in an organization that has need and can hang. Can just put a guy out there who's just a three and D guy. You know, yeah. like essentially that's what he is. He's a three and D guy now.
1: Um, do you have a favorite story um that you've written since you've been writing about the Knicks?
2: Oh man, favorite story. Um I really enjoyed the story about uh about um the Knicks commute. Oh, uh, <laughs> I remember that. That was great. Um, just that cause good. I thought it was something I empathize with, which is everyone emphasizes it's just the crappy commute. Uh, and then I got an earful from, uh, from the Knicks about that. Oh, um, did you, <laughs> uh, that soccer. was a fun one. Um, you know, it's, it's really fun and difficult to do like the Leon Rose, Tom Thibodeau type stories. Um, Mike Miller was good to get to know, uh, not through Mike Miller cause the Knicks wouldn't let me talk to him, but, um, you know, it's all the people around them it's uh yeah it's it's really hard to be creative on that beat just because you have to uh you have to work so much harder for it i think uh than uh, covering other teams uh you know because the access is just not great um and so you have to do so much scrambling so like it's stuff like that yeah like the commuting story i thought it was interesting to learn about some of the data at sci- uh, their uh, sports science when Fisdale was there between the mm. uh the blood testing that they did and the blu-ray stuff that they did so like that stuff is interesting to me it's it's like it, you know, seeing what the Knicks did, that was like you could just see on a level outside of sports, right? Like we see the incursion of like, you know, biometrics in our life now uh, in mm. terms of, you know, health science in our life now. And You know, everyone has a crappy commute that they ditch about. Uh, the Knicks were no different. Uh, you know what I mean? Like talking to Alfred Payton, I think it was Alfred just saying, like, yeah, it really sucks going from Manhattan to Westchester, doesn't it? And we're just, you know, yeah. both complaining about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, those are those are some of my fun, you know, favorite things. And plus, it was just fun to write off the of games, like you know, the, the Porzingis return to MSG. That was just a wild, wild night.
1: Well, I was about to ask you. That was my last question. Do you have a favorite game that you've covered?
2: Mm-hmm. I got to say, Game One of the playoffs this past year, uh, just because it was, you know, like I, I would say, like it, it was, it hit me a little bit emotionally too, just to be there in the Garden. Like we had fifteen thousand people in one place again, right? Yeah. Think about that. Like, think about yeah. how the previous uh, year had gone, and to return to like some sense of normalcy, to have so many people all together um, again—it was just really fun. It was it was cool to be there that night. I mean, the Porzingis return to MSG was just like that was like a wrestling event, basically. Um, that was wild. That was that, yeah, that was just a crazy night. The amount of the only comparison I have is when I used to cover the Mets. That was uh, game three of the 2015 NLDS when the Dodgers returned to city field after uh chase ellie broke ruben ruben Tejada's leg oh my god um, that was the amount of like venom and anger uh, oh, we're the right. same at city field and uh, at msg that you know those two nights
1: all right one more bonus bonus question do you think Christoph brzingis <laughs> reclaims his his former glory well this is the last question his former,
2: you know. uh, his former
1: glory his
2: former glory i think actually i, I do Okay. Um, I think this year was a little hard for him just because from all the returning from injuries. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess a little bit is dependent on the coaching situation and just put him in a good spot. I'm not a uh, coach kid, baby. Yeah. I'm not the biggest Jason kid fan. I don't know if he'll have a coach who maximizes his talent, but mm-hmm. I, I still think there's, there's a way for like forcing us to be a really good player. Okay. Um, I think it's about the way that you use them and you make up for his strength. You know, I, the funny thing about Porzingis is, is I don't think he was ever as good as everyone thought he was when he was with the Knicks. Um, I think he kind of got some of the New York hype and that just kind of, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it made him seem like he was better than he was when it was in New York. Um, and so I think now he seems worse than he actually is in Dallas. And so I, I think he'll be as good as in New York as he was at some point. To me, it's like the rim protection. He needs to offer the rim protection. Uh, that was such a big part of his game in New York. He was a great uh, rim protection. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah. Some of those highlight blocks. I mean, we've, we forget now because we've since had like Mitch and Mitch has had his fair share and Nerland's this year, I should say. Um, but uh, yeah, no, he had, he had a few nice moments. All right. I have kept you from your juice for long no, enough. No, no. Um,
2: uh, can I say something before you go, before you kick me off? Um, as long as it's not too insulting to, to me. I Sure. No, 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 it's actually not. It's uh, you know, like, you know, I'm going to be, like I said, I have a week left on the beat and I'll say this in other places, but I do want to say thank you to, uh to everyone that's read and, uh, followed all my work in terms of the Knicks coverage that I've had. It's been it's been really cool to like to see the community from a first hand perspective and just like all the support uh, that our Knicks coverage has had at the Athletics. So I just want to say thanks to everybody. Like I, I I earnestly mean that. You're I mean you're
1: pretty universally loved. I think by by Knicks fans. People like. I guess not everybody subscribes to the athletics. So it's maybe not like, you know, Ian, you know, anybody could read Ian. So maybe it's not like that to that level. But like, I don't know of anybody that like dislikes Mike Borkanoff
0: or your. I try to,
2: I try to be not dislikable. Uh, That's my whole, my whole (laughs) thing. I I just stay for dumb jokes on Twitter. Um, No, but I don't know. I just, I just wanted to, I don't know. I just try not to be an asshole on Twitter. That's my whole thing. That's my Uh. whole game
1: you're successful at it. Um, And you're also successful at providing uh, just absolute top-notch coverage. Um, No shade against whoever they get to replace you, but uh, they're not going to be as good as you. Um, I I will miss. I don't know about that. (laughs) Listen, man, I, I know good fucking writing when I, when I see it and your writing is, the writing is excellent. And also the, the, as I always tell you, and the analysis is excellent. Um, I, at the very least, I hope they come up with um, stories half as creative as things like, you know, the next commute and like all the other stuff that you've done, um, because those have been some of my favorites too. Uh, before I let you go, I'll just remind folks at home where, where they could find you and your stuff.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, I'm going to lose probably 10,000 Twitter followers as soon as I get off the Knicks beat, but Come I have Twitter <laughs> and, uh, you know, read The Athletic for all the all the stuff there. I've still probably got one more story from Summer League that I should write at some point, point. and uh, yeah, that's it. I hope right. you guys stay and read the, the business stuff whenever I transition to that.
1: Uh, well, I sure will be, that's for sure. All right, um, second round for one sec. Uh, everybody out there, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. We'll be back Uh, with you for our usual um, Monday show and also uh, whatever post games this weekend. Uh, This is running on Friday. I think they play Saturday. They play Friday night. They play Saturday. I don't don't know. know. Whatever they play, there'll be post games on on the YouTube channel and those will be podcasts as well. So uh, yeah, more stuff coming your way very soon. Peace out.